us? Well, there is a new report. It is done by the Real Estate Investment Network, and it takes a look at the global coronavirus, now COVID-19, the outbreak, and what possible impacts that could have on real estate in BC, as well as right across the country. So let's bring in Cameron McNeil, Executive Director and Partner at MLA Realty Canada. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, good morning, Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh, how concerned are you uh, with the possible negative impacts that uh, this virus could have on real estate? Uh, you know, I think if there is a, a significant global uh, impact, then that can have a trickle-down effect on our local real estate market. And, and that concerns me, I, I, I suppose, a, a global impact. But as, but uh, the irony of that comment is, is uh, relative to the world, Canada and Vancouver is still considered very safe and stable place to live. And, and so I think that uh, if coronavirus in other parts of the world is starting to um, outbreak um, in, a, in a larger way, uh, Canada is, is seen relatively like a great place to come. So although there might be a short-term impact, I think there's long-term upward pressure as a result. It could actually then, uh, if people are looking at it as a negative thing, but it could actually turn the other way and become and, and make Canada even more attractive. It, yes, indeed. And the absolute low part of the market was June of last year, so June 2019. And year over year, we've seen this past January uh, with upward momentum, prices have, have stabilized to where they were a year ago, sales volumes are up. And we haven't yet seen the sales volumes impacted because of corona or any other factor. They're still pressuring upwards. Uh, what our firm does is we run condominium showrooms throughout Greater Metro Vancouver, and we have seen a reluctance for, for large gatherings. So if we have a celebration or a party or an opening or something like that, we're seeing those those numbers down, but the regular daily traffic we're seeing is is uh, at least the same as it was in January, uh, or another way to put it, substantially higher today than it was six months ago. Hmm, interesting that, and, and I would imagine that's being done out of an abundance of caution from people because we do still have relatively low numbers of confirmed cases in BC, and it's not as though health officials have said anything about if you're in a crowd. Obviously, people are being told to be careful, but it's not as though we've been told if you're in a crowd, you could be at higher risk. Yes, of course, and typically year over year during the Chinese New Year celebration uh, period of time, this year uh, was um, excuse me, January 25th to February 8th, we do see a spike of activity in the condominium sales. Part of that is Canada, of course, is growing and immigration from all over the world is flowing into the country. Vancouver is 100 people per day coming to live in Vancouver permanently, greater much of Vancouver per day on average. And so during the Chinese New Year celebration where many of our immigration um, numbers are coming from, we see um, activity and people out shopping or, or um, uh, coming to these, these real estate openings that we're having. And this year, we're not seeing those numbers, at least in, in large gatherings. And so it, time will tell if there's, there's any impact at all. But so far, we're continuing to see upward pressure in the sales volumes. And do you think that that's, it's more of um, people are waiting it out? Or like you said, if there's this reluctance to go to the large gatherings and that, or just kind of waiting to see uh, what's happening with the virus. Uh, but if someone is still has an intention to move to Metro Vancouver, they will. They might just be delaying it? I think that it's, it's you know, I'm speculating here, of course, but I think that it's impacting people's uh, ability to travel or desire to travel internationally um, or to, to come to these large openings with, with just caution. Um, but it hasn't wavered people's desire to 
call Vancouver Home or to look at real estate acquisitions in Vancouver. All right. Uh, you mentioned too, so you're, that you deal mainly with condo sales. Are you able to talk yes. about other parts of the market or is it having an impact as well, do you think, on uh, say townhouses or, or, or detached homes? Yeah, uh, we, we do watch the broader market as well because the single family market is a good indicator for the multifamily market. And um, as I mentioned, the January numbers just came out last week and they are all trending upwards across Metro Vancouver. But it's pr- premature to know, I think, if coronavirus is going to bleed into the uh, uh, into the February numbers. But all indications are that they're continuing to, to be strong. And we can draw on, I suppose, the impact of SARS. It was back in 2003, but I don't think anybody yeah. would look back and say, oh, we're still looking at the negative impacts of SARS when it comes to real estate or when it comes to that market. So do you think we've learned or that's something that we can look back on and that we learned from that, yes, it did have an impact while it happened, but we came out of it on the other side? I think that's a that's a great uh, um, uh, uh, situation to look at when you compare it to the Vancouver real estate market. Um, you know, I think our our fundamentals, both Canadian wide and also in Greater Metro Vancouver, are very strong when it comes to real estate. Zero vacancy, growing immigration, and the real key is that we have a real difficulty as an industry to create new supply. There's lots of supply constraints, and with those pressures, um, you know, we may we may see uh, some caution about. Uh, people coming out to to openings, but we're actually seeing, I think, uh, as I started at the beginning, um, uh, this increased desire for people to 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 live in Canada. They see it as a very safe and and stable place relative to other places in the world, and so that's only going to add long term to our real estate market. Uh, are there other factors you think that I know we're focusing right now on the coronavirus because it is in the news and it's still something that health officials are trying to, to stabilize, trying to get the upper hand on. Are there other yes. factors, though, that because we're focusing on that, we're perhaps not looking at whether it's increased taxes, foreign buyers tax, empty homes tax, other things that are still having an impact on home sales? Yes, I, I believe the market was so strong in 2016 and 2017 that it needed um, to, to cool off. And so some of the government initiatives that you spoke of um, were catalysts to the market cooling off. But we're seeing that we're back to historical numbers. If you look at our 10-year um, monthly volume of sales activity, January of 2020 is back to our, our historical numbers. And our prices, although they were the absolute highest in the, uh, in the summer of 2018, um, they, they came off immediately, but then they flattened out. And now we're starting to see them uh, recover and rise again. So um, those factors you mentioned certainly are the normal ebbs and flows of, of real estate, but the pressures are, are distinctly upward. And um, I, uh, I think that it's common in Greater Metro Vancouver to be looking at real estate in very short timelines, month over month. But real estate, I always say, is a long-term game. We should be thinking five, six, seven years out. And when we have longer timelines with great confidence, we can know there's going to be strong pressure. All right. Also, uh, you mentioned kind of the cyclical uh, springtime. Isn't that uh, also the time we, we generally see a pickup or see more listings and more activity in the market? That's true. Yes, it is. Yes. And usually uh, around the, the Christmas season, late December, early January, that's when it drips down, drops down. You can see it every year. But this year was, was, was significantly higher than it was a year ago. 
Uh, and just before I let you go, what advice are you giving then? If you hear from clients, if people are concerned, like you said about the large gatherings, uh, there is a lot of misinformation that is out there. Are you are you calming people, or what advice are you giving people that do have uh, concerns about this? You know, Franco, we've seen not only some of the projects that we're handling, but also um, uh, throughout the industry, a lot of the events, at least that were scheduled for the Chinese New Year celebration, they were cancelled or many were poorly attended. And so uh, they simply uh, have been delaying such events um, or uh, thinking of of new ideas such as rather than a large event, perhaps breaking it into just a a lot of appointments or something like that. If we were opening a project, we may have an opening celebration and expect, you know, a few hundred people or more through it uh, at one particular time. And now we might be staggering that throughout the course of the week and just um, inviting um, interested parties in at, at a, on an invitational basis, just as an appointment. So I think we're still seeing the demand. We're just we're just avoiding the large gatherings. I think is is the message there. All right. So, well, Cameron McNeil, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. You're welcome, Joe. Thanks so much. Well, this weekend is the annual Great Backyard Bird Count, and it takes place right across the country. It started on February 14th. It runs through the 17th, and volunteers, well, they're very busy counting birds. And joining me on the line to talk more about this is Nature Conservancy of Canada spokesperson Andrew Holland. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us. Hi. Good morning, Jill. Uh, What is the importance of, of having this bird count every year? Well, it's the 23rd annual, and it seems to be growing every year uh, globally uh, in terms of participation. And it's really important for conservation groups uh, because, and as Canadians, that we have a sense as to how healthy are the bird populations in our country, what are the trends, because birds, I guess, are an indicator of the health of some of our natural areas. And if there's fewer birds around, that's not as encouraging of a sign. And so uh, walk us through, if you can, how does it work? Volunteers sign up, and then how does it actually work during the weekend? Sure. Well, it's it's actually underway right now. In fact, around the world this weekend, there's been over 13 million birds counted, and you can track that on a website. Uh, So it's kind of cool. It's just ebird.org. The whole effort is led here in in Canada by Birds Canada. They do a great job. they, they partner with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and the Audubon Society to carry this out in communities across the country. And our organization, the Nature Conservancy of Canada, we just have uh, employees that are helping out in, in different areas and doing this on their own. And, and so basically people can count birds uh, for 15-minute periods in their backyards and their communities. And there's a, a checklist that people, when you sign up online, you get a checklist of the of what birds you may be able to see, and then you report that back online, and it automatically updates this uh, global website. And do you need any background in watching birds or in, in birds in that? Are you, is it uh, for a volunteer, you'd have to know, are you concerned at all that somebody might identify a bird as one type of bird, but it's really not, it's something else completely? You can have that, but the intent is to make this user-friendly and, and, you know, open to people from all levels of experience and ability, whether you're a, a, a newcomer, if you will, or, or up to being a bird nerd and, and sort of a, an, a, a bird watcher and, and a seasoned birder, as I call them, I guess. So, uh, you know, generally there's different activities in, in various parts of the country. 
usually in, in, in what we would call important bird areas where you're used to seeing a lot of birds. So that way you can, tr- you know, it's good to see trends, like how many birds are here last year versus a, a year ago and, and this type of thing. Uh, you know, in B.C., for example, last year, it was the second largest province in the country for participants. There were over 3,000 people who participated and submitted checklists. Ontario had over 6,800 people uh, participate last year. And globally, Canada was the third largest country in terms of the most people who were who participated in this. And that's, that's very interesting. Do you, re- do you remember what country was on top for bird counts? Yeah, United States was uh, tops followed by uh, India. And uh, all this stuff is really cool. I, I mean, the, the website is neat. Even if you're not a, a bird enthusiast, you just go to birdcountallonword.org. And also another one, ebird.org, E-B-I-R-D.org. And, you know, it's really neat to see where checklists are coming in. So I just, before going on the air and with you, I, I checked and there were over 18,000 checklists submitted today around the world. So, again, a shout-out to Birds Canada. They lead this effort here in this country. Uh, you know, Audubon Society and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And the whole idea is to get people out. If people are tracking these birds, hopefully they'll care more about nature. And the more you, you pay attention to nature and what's going on, maybe we'll, we'll feel strongly about the need to preserve more of these areas for birds. Absolutely. Uh, and interesting, I, I just pulled up that website too. It is pretty fascinating. You can watch it as, as, as checklists are coming in and, and as people are participating. Um, do, so do people generally do, as you said, you could sign up, you can sign up for 15 minute windows. Do people do generally do a 15 minute window? Or I would think if somebody's that passionate about it, they might do a few windows over the course of the weekend. That's right. It's, it's up to the individual, but it's uh, at least 15 minutes and do it at different times during the day or or over the four days, and the reason for Nature Conservancy of Canada, uh, our work, and you know, we've been working in BC for for many many years, and and what we do is we protect areas for bird populations and try to restore these areas back to their natural state so that these birds have a habitat. The the, the big uh, thing that that's transpired since 1970, Jill, is that in Canada and the United States, we've lost three billion birds. Three billion birds is a lot, and that's the uh, a demonstration of how populations have declined a lot. So uh, one of the key drivers of that is habitat loss and climate change. And so by preserving areas uh, that birds really need to nest and feed and survive, you're giving them a fighting chance to recover. So the Nature Conservancy of Canada is setting aside areas in B.C., uh, you know, restoring them or buying the land or accepting land donations to ideally have these areas as conservation areas uh, for uh, for various bird populations. Uh, that does seem like a lot. And as you said off the top, they can be an indicator of how healthy of an environment is, and certainly we can learn from them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, a, a neat thing to go out with uh, this time of year with a nice toque and boots and a jacket and get some fresh air. And, you know, if you have snow on the ground like where I live, uh, bring the kids out in a toboggan and and, uh, and, and get out and, and get some fresh air and, and uh, take it in. And it's just something to do. And, and, and what I mean by that is just citizen science is really important. And any ways that we can have more Canadians involved in activities such as this and reporting uh, 
nature sightings, it's, it's quite helpful. And, uh, you know, the more people that feel strongly about nature and the need to protect it, uh, the better off we are. Because we're, here in Canada, we're not making more land, so we need to protect a little bit more of what we have. And when we talk about birds, or the types of birds, is it all birds that are being counted? Yes, absolutely. Like whatever, like uh, various bird species uh, are, are being counted. Uh, you know, so far, like I said, there was over, when I checked it earlier, there was uh, individual birds. There was, you know, I think over 13,748,000 individual birds. And But the number of birds, you know, the, the, the different species, it was over 5,800. So there's a checklist on this website on, on birdcount.org where people can download the checklist. And that gives people a sense as to what birds you, you may see in these areas. And does it give us a better idea, idea too, about migratory patterns and if those patterns are changing? It can. I mean, some birds get uh, are a bit of a surprise or they're vagrants. They're knocked off uh, stride, if you will, because of storms and this type of thing. But but it is. It's it's helpful to see uh, what birds do migrate. I mean, in, in some cases, they don't get to the Carolinas or they don't get to South America. They try to hack our tough winter climate. And we're lucky. We can you know, add extra layers and, and put on long johns and they can't. So uh, it is a great way to sort of get out and, and, and take part, but also see what birds try to hack our, our tough winter climate. Absolutely. I noticed on the website as well, there's a photo contest. I'm guessing it's not mandatory that you photograph all of the birds, but people certainly uh, take part in that as well. That's right. And, and that's an idea. If you've got a, a really nice uh, uh, you know, camera and, and you're close enough to, to do that, you can upload photos. So it's another... Uh, uh, option as well and uh, but not but just by and large it's just a an effort to help track bird populations around the world and here in canada you know we have a lot of birds that try to hang out here through the winter they don't migrate uh, to your earlier question and so uh, they rely on our coastal areas and in different areas and, you know they need we think about feeding birds other times of the year, but we don't necessarily think of it in the winter. So that's why the backyard uh, uh, bird feeders are really important to provide, you know, uh, a food source through the winter. And even as we've talked about before, making your backyards more more bird friendly, like recycling your Christmas tree in the backyard, if at all possible. If you have room in your backyard to throw it out there or tie it to your deck, uh, those birds can use that as a source of warmth over the, over the winter months. And, and some people do that too. They, they put out their Christmas trees, put it out in the backyard, either you stand it up or lay it up against another tree or tie it to your deck. That can be a source of warmth for at least three or four months over the winter to help birds out. All right. Great advice. And I know a lot of people taking part this weekend. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, John.